All right. So bonus round. Let's talk about rule books. You know, rule books yeah. are the bane of the game designer's experience. I mean, in so many ways for so many people, you know, having to go and, and take all the ideas out of your head and put them on a Word document and then make them clear and rewrite them and then add the art and the gravity, all those things. It's like, oh, can we just not, can we just play the game? Can we just play it? <laughs> but what we're talking, I mean, this is honestly maybe the most important part of your game. Because yeah. if this isn't done well, if it isn't done right, it doesn't matter if you have the greatest game in the world, nobody's going to know because they can't play it. And so right. this is like maybe the number one thing people need to get better at, be aware of uh, when it comes to game design. Outsource to people that are good at it if you're no good. Um, yeah. Don't don't try to do all the graphic stuff yourself if you're not a graphic designer because uh, it's going to show and people are going to know. Uh, but what are your tips and advice just from what you've learned as you've grown as a designer? And how many rule books have you written, do you think? At this point, oh, uh, for each version of my game, I've written probably at least twenty different versions of yeah. the. For each game that I have, I've written twenty different versions of the rule book. Right. At so, least. I mean, that's close to a hundred at this point, right? How many games yeah. have you done? Um, so anyway, I mean, you you've done this a lot. You've gone through the process. You've worked with artists. You've worked with graphic designers. You understand. So what are what are your tips? What's your advice for somebody who who's trying to put together a good rule book? Well. I'll try to speak to some of the things that I learned along the way that maybe I didn't fully understand early on. One of the things I did early on that was a bit of a mistake is I would try to, con I, I would confine the rule book to a smaller space than it deserved. Hmm. Um, Cause in my mind I was like, you know, it's, it's more appealing to have a short rule book than a long one. It's less paper. So the printing cost goes down a little bit. But what I found is that there's, there's a greater loss in, uh, in, not giving the the game the visual space to breathe through examples and through images mostly and so now i go to my graphic designer and i say you have unlimited number of pages to make this happen in the best visual way possible yeah. here's the text do do what you need to do with it i don't try to constrain her and that, that has made a big difference yeah this is not the place to cut corners like right. <laughs> if you're gonna cut corners don't don't let it be your rule book because uh, again people can't play the game if it's not clear what have you learned as far as clarity you know do you, do you find your, do you send yours out to proofreaders or to an editor or anything like that? Yeah, we have a couple different stages of, of editing. Um, usually I write the rule book. Well, I, so for example, today I, I'm sending out the new uh, scythe expansion to blind play testers today. And the one task that I have before I do that is I have to write the current version of the rule book. Um, and so that's like the step one to make that as clear as possible. And then during blind playtesting, I'll get a lot of questions about the rule book, I'm sure. And every time I get one, my instinct will be to dismiss it and say it's already in the rule book. But in reality, that's like the number one clue that something is wrong with it and I need to fix it. So I'll be editing the rule book throughout that process. After blind playtesting is through, I will send it to some editors who will edit the, the word version of it. And then we'll, I'll have my graphic designer uh, lay it out. I'll proofread it. Uh, with my co-designer, and then we'll have other proofreaders come in and proofread that rulebook as well. And there'll be proofreaders who play tested the game, so they they know what to look for, they know the edge cases, but there'll also be some proofreaders that have no idea of how the game works, because I want them to be able to learn the game from the rulebook and have no other context to go by. So I try to split that between two different types of proofreaders. Yeah, and it's so important to have those people uh, from both those sides. You know, and it's amazing what you learn from that feedback. Like, the other day oh, yeah. I, was, I was, I took my game to to play test it with a friend, and he had never t seen the game. I just told him about it, and I handed him the box, and I said, "Teach me how to play." And mm -hmm. so he opens it up, and he's looking through the rules, 
And one thing I didn't, I didn't even think about this. I had a really good looking title page as the first page, right? But then you open it up and it's got the components and all that. And then on that, on that next page is the setup, how the game is set up. And you flip the page and it's a picture of the setup. And so he's teaching me how to play and he's putting everything on the table. And I'm watching as he's looking and he's reading the setup and he's looking, he's flipping the page to look at the picture. Uh He's flipping it back and he's flipping it back and he's flipping it back. And like four or five times in, he looks at me, he goes, can you put the setup next to the (laughs) picture? (laughs) You know, He's getting so frustrated having to go back and forth. And I never Uh even thought about it, but it wasn't until somebody actually had to figure it out for themselves. And so I got rid of the good looking title page, throw that out the window, who cares, Uh you know, and and shifted everything over one. And now the setup's right next to the picture and it makes sense, but you don't learn those things until you get in those scenarios and you have people uh, willing to help you and, and figure it out. And so having people in your life that can do that cannot be overstated. That is just an incredible blessing to yep. have and going into um, examples you know mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of rule books have no examples they say here's how to play the game and then you kind of wonder well what's that look like in reality so i've got this rule right. over here and this rule over there but what do they look like together and so is that i mean you talked about adding examples what have you learned as far as examples go you know is there too many is it possible to put too many examples in a in a rule book or is there a good way to put those in do you do you just put a sample turn or a sample round like what have you found works best well i don't know if this is the i'm sure there are many right answers to that question i really like the question um the way i do it is uh usually when i introduce a new concept or a specific concept uh i I pair it with with an example um usually an image and then and then some text to say like you know player a is doing this or you're doing this and, and this happens I don't, I'm sure there is a such thing as too many examples. If it, if it really bogs down the rule book, it could get in the way. Uh, I don't know how to answer it really well because I usually kind of go by instinct there. Where yeah. I stumble upon a concept that that is maybe a little bit abstract that would benefit from having that image, and I I just I, I know then to put it in there. Yeah. One thing yeah. I found also works is if you have things that need to go in a certain timing, mm. is to have the example and it in that specific. Time this hap- A happens, B happens, C happens, just so people don't get them mixed up. Because, you know, sometimes rules, it's easy to, to put C before B without realizing it. And so having examples in yeah. there that help with that, something I've found just in, in my playtesting. When I also like there with, with lists, I, I think sometimes it's my instinct, like as I'm writing a paragraph in the rules, to list things within that paragraph, just because it's, you know, I'm typing it's the flow of text. But I've really tried to recognize that whenever I have more than, really more than one thing in a list, uh, to pull that out and actually make it a list, either a numbered or a bulleted list. Because then players can go one by one, and they know that it's if it's numbered that it's sequential, or that if it's bulleted it's just like important highlights. It's just much easier to, to read the first time when you have a list, because your mind can break it down easier, and when you're going back to the rules to reference it later. Right. It's a lot easier to reference a list than finding the exact part in the paragraph where that item happens. No, it's absolutely true. Now, as far as referencing things goes... You know, have mm-hmm. you found some, like some rule books will have a glossary in the back and it says, right. you know, have keywords that will tell you what page to turn to or whatever. Have you found right. some, some, some things that work really well as far as helping players reference things? Um, well, yeah, we have a couple things like in the side rule book there, there's an index in the front. Um, I try to use pretty bold headers on the page so you can, if you are flipping through that, you can quickly identify like where, where you are, what you're looking at at that time. And, uh, in the back of the side rule book, I did something a little bit different where there's a page of uh, all the rule or all the key rules 
condensed into one single page. And the intent there is being that after you read through the science rule book and you play the game one time, that then you go and spend a few minutes and just read that page because it'll catch it'll catch you up if you like if you made a mistake. Basically, it'll give you all the rules in one place because no one wants to go through and read the entire rule book again. Right. But it's just one page to go through, and usually you'll find something that you did wrong on that page. That's also really good as a refresher. So maybe you hadn't played the game in right. six months, and yep. you'll go, I think I remember. And just to go to that one page and go, oh, okay, that's right. This is how you do it. This is the sequence and right. the order. Yeah, that's a really good thing. One thing I've I've been doing uh, lately with this latest game I'm working on, something I learned, I think, from Queen Games and their rule books. Their rule books are all color-coded. So they have different okay. colors for the different sections and all that. And so I've been right. trying that out. And so even if yeah. a player can't remember, it's like, gosh, I can't remember where that rule is. But I think it's in the blue section. And they just go yeah. find the blue section. I was like, oh, there it is. And it just makes it easier uh, to find. Have you found anything uh, kind of like that that helps players go back and, and find the references? Like even if it's just an icon or numbering things or anything like that? Well, my system probably isn't, definitely is not as good as the Queen because that's really clever. Um, but the, I think the thing that I have learned is to be is to be consistent in how I do that. So like all the examples are always italicized. Yeah. So if you're looking on a page or you're skimming through the rule book for examples, it's easy to identify the italicized text. Or um, I think sometimes I have notes in the rule books and they're always in, in bold. Actually, in the side of the rule book, I have green boxes and red boxes. I'm trying to remember what the red box. The green boxes are designer notes. The red boxes. Maybe the red boxes are examples too. So yeah, so there is a, a color highlight there. Yeah, and I think it just helps people as they turn back into the page because they're going to. They're not going to learn it one and done. It, it's going to be right. referenced, and so making it easier is always the better thing. Awesome. Yeah. Really appreciate your insight on, on this. Uh, anything else to add? I learned. I think this is from Grant Rodiak, a designer. He talked about how using talking to a person, uh, to, talking to the players in second person. Mm-hmm and be more effective than third person. So rather than saying player A does this, player B does this, uh, say when you when you do this, it breaks down that barrier between you and the player who's reading the rulebook a little bit more. It's a, it's a little thing. I don't think it matters all that much, but I've, I've enjoyed writing rulebooks in, in second yeah. person. Well, also, if you think about if somebody is reading this right. to the table, they, they would say you. Exactly. Like if I'm teaching you right. how to play, I'm not going to say – when when Jamie does this, no, I would say when you do this. And right. so that actually makes a lot of sense just from a semantics and a conversational kind of standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, awesome, man. Look forward to having you back on again at some point. We'll, we'll come up Anytime. with some really uh, other cool, interesting topic to talk about. Good luck with everything you're working on. I'm excited for Charterstone. Um, I know the development of that's been uh, long and fun and yet frustrating at times, and, and I'm sure that'll be a good episode we can have one day down the yeah. road. But um, good luck with all that and, and everything you've got going on right now because I know that's that's not the only game you got cooking up. And so I'm excited to see what 2017 is like uh, for Stonemeyer Games. And, uh, yeah. yeah, man, really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Cool. Yeah, take care.